0: In 1892, General Electric was formed out of Thomas Edison's Edison General Electric Company and Thomas Houston Electric Company, combining their valuable patents at that point in time. For a company with so much history, G's ouster from the Dow Jones after 110 years was seen as a remarkable failure of the company's management. A lot of questions have been asked, but then Jeffrey Emel decided to bear all in his book called Hot Seat, what I learned leading a great American company. Hello and welcome I am Pooja Sarkar and you are listening to From the Bookshelves of Folks India and today I have Jeff on our show to talk about his book. It is very rare that a CEO stands up and owns up that things went south. But then there is also a narrative that Jeff builds in his book on businesses that he tried to put on the right track, but a lot of times he got it wrong too, like the sale of real estate loan book before the financial crisis. Thank you so much, Jeff. Uh, for coming on our show and thank you so much to the listeners for listening in today and please don't forget to like subscribe and share us we are available on spotify apple google stitcher and any other platform that you prefer uh, let's welcome jeff to the show thank you so much for being here today and i'll start with this question you know most ceos do not like to be asked uncomfortable questions but then an article came about your tenure at ge and you decided to hold a meeting with your students at stanford where they could ask you anything what led to writing of this book and what are the questions that you wanted to address to the readers
1: yeah so so you know i i've taught now three years at stanford and i find that students aren't as politically correct. And so they're more willing to say what's on their mind. And I felt at that time, that this would kind of demonstrate to them that sometimes things don't work and you still need to be uh, available, you still need to be approachable and you still need to provide answers. And so I felt like in the world that they were gonna see that this was a valuable lesson that they could uh, see. I think in general, you know, Push, I just wasn't comfortable you know, the G story is a complicated one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I felt like uh, there was just no context at all around the company. Uh, so after I had the discussion with the students, literally when I was driving home that night, I kind of decided to write the book and uh, contacted a co-author and and really felt that this would be a great, uh, you know, kind of way to tell a story. And and uh, that's really what started the process of writing the book was reflections on you know, kind of what leaders, what the next generation of leaders really want to know and how they want to learn.
0: You said in your book, my legacy was at best controversial. G won in the marketplace, but not in the stock market. You've written in the early part of the book that you learned some tough lessons. What have been the tough lessons of your tenure?
1: I started in crisis and I ended in crisis. And then I had multiple tail risk events in between. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, what I try to do in the book is tell stories and not lecture, right? So I try to allow people to make their own observations about uh, leadership. But I think the tough lessons are that leaders need to absorb fear, that they need to uh, keep their team moving forward, making progress and not worrying about uh, perfection, that, that really the ability to kind of like take some of it internally, while leading your team forward. And I think covid really has proven that in many ways i think leaders need to make decisions in public so you need to be willing to uh, make clear decisions make them in a room of 30 or 40 or 50 people knowing that you're going to be second guessed but what you give up in that time is you give transparency and purpose to your team that leaders need to hold two truths at the same time that really the future can still take place while protecting their team from the bad things that can still happen. And I think that you've got to be a good communicator. You've got to connect with people, but you also have to be willing to uh, to fight for your company, for yourself, for your team when times get tough. And so I think those are just four of the observations about leadership that people can see when they read the book.
0: You wrote about that, how you interviewed around 70 people inside and outside Uh, for writing this book, what were the stories that came differently from what you may have perceived? Like, was there any story when somebody narrated it to you from their perspective and you thought, oh, this isn't how I thought so. Are there any such stories that you remember?
1: Yeah, I'd say a couple, like one on uh, people, you know? So uh, when I tell the story of globalization, people pushed back and said, you need to write about the people that didn't support the initiative and what happened. And that was very uncomfortable to me, but I, I think in some ways it's real world that, you know, in big companies, there are people that support change. There are people that fight change. And, and that was a story that I had to tell. I think before the financial crisis, uh, people reminded me that, that uh, it was presented to me to sell our commercial real estate business. And I said, no, mm-hmm. and if I'd said yes, that would have made uh, our, our, our situation in the financial crisis better. And that was kind of an uncomfortable truth that, uh, that I had to confront. Uh, in the section of around connecting with people, my co-author interviewed several people who said that the leadership explorations was one of the best experiences of their career. That was something I originally wasn't going to put in the book at all because I never participated in it. It was always really about the, the cohorts that worked uh, with me and for me. So those are just a couple examples of, you know, kind of like telling a more complete story through the eyes of people who lived it. And that was kind of what I wanted to do anyhow. I, I, wanted, to, I wanted this to be a story about all of us at GE, and I wanted to include people, uh, different people's views.
0: True. Uh, One of the benefits that you've also written of a conglomerate is that if something is going wrong, you can depend on something else to take you forward. When the world house crashed, uh, the airline business was in problem, the insurance business had a problem, but you had something else to look forward to. But do you also think that conglomerates in these times, it becomes a little difficult to manage the entire conglomerate because there's too many businesses that are working alongside?
1: You know, Historically, the model of the conglomerate was exactly what you said, that diversification created consistency, that that was valued by customers and employees and different people. And that worked for a long time. I think in the last 20 years, or in the era we live in today, it's so volatile that actually it's not just one business that can go wrong, it's two or three or four and and so what you're you're constantly doing is fighting fires, instead of thinking about how to position and how to grow uh, different businesses in the uh, in the conglomerate. So I just think it's it's so volatile in the world today that it's it's difficult to really be able to position yourself uh, when you have so many different things to worry about. And and one of the things, you know, if you go back to the financial crisis, I made the decision then to sell NBC. It wasn't necessarily a good time to do it, but I really came to the conclusion that with all the troubles we had inside the financial service business, I just wasn't gonna be able to give that business enough time uh, to help it succeed. And, And therefore, rather than just kind of weigh them down, I felt it was better off for them to be part of a different enterprise that could focus just on media. So I still think it's okay to have a couple businesses but they should be really linked in some meaningful ways and not completely disjointed. I think the way G was, uh, you know, in the 1990s.
0: As we said, I mean, as everybody knows that you started on a rocky note as the world came crashing. At what point did you think now my ship has stabilized and I want to do something more that you would like to implement your own ideas or is it that something or the other kept coming at you?
1: I think, I think something or the other always came.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But it wasn't that we were necessarily unique. I just think that's the way the world, the w- the way the world was. Uh, we did a lot of repositioning after 9-11, mm-hmm. and, and the company was doing really well in that time period. And then the financial crisis hit in 2008, and that really set us back, right? That was really a very difficult time period for the company because half our business was in GE Capital, and that was a, uh, that was a big challenge at that time. And then we spent most of the 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 subsequent years really getting ourselves repositioned uh, for the future. So you know, I would say over time, you know, Push one of the things I say in the book is really over my time period, we we earned you know 270 billion dollars of earnings and cash. It was more than the previous 110 years of the uh, of the company combined. So we had a lot of really good years, but it was there was never a moment when I said, "Gosh, everything's stable right now, everything's calm." And I can really take it easy now. You know, that just never, that never happened.
0: True. I was just going to come to that part because I saw a lot of interviews also where you said that, you know, uh, I mean, nobody would like to go home with a bag of criticism. So there's a lot of things that you have also done right. What do you think are the things that you did right in which of the businesses? And where did you think that, you know, I'm a little slow or I would have, if I would have reacted differently, things could have been different.
1: Yeah, like I would say, uh, the business, the the company's financial performance was strong. Our businesses were all leadership positions in some really essential industries. We were a fantastic global company. I'd say we we had maybe the best global footprint uh, in the world. Uh, Good leaders, good initiatives, good teams of people, many of whom have gone on to be CEOs of companies around the world. So those are on the good side. Uh, clearly, the share price uh, struggled. I would say the 15-year experience in financial services, which was really a good set of businesses and really good team, I, I never was able to get as much value out of G Capital as I, as I wish I, I could have or as I should have. And the other thing I would say, Pooja, is I really, you know, in retrospect, I, I ran the company to be a big company. I, I wish I'd run it more to be a smaller company to have more freestanding businesses, more P&Ls, more, more kind of delegated uh, uh, activity inside the company. I'd say those two things for sure, plus a bunch of others. But, you know, I, I clearly wasn't, uh, wasn't perfect. And there, and there were things if I had to do over again, I would have done.
0: Sure. You know, coming to the part when you decided that, you know, now I want to split GE Capital in four units. How did you come about that decision? What led you to take that decision?
1: Yeah so that goes back to let's say 2003 mm-hmm. and and um you know it was kind of after Enron and all of the focus in the financial markets was on transparency on on more disclosures and I felt like you know G capital had been really a black box that very few people understood and that by splitting it into four different pieces we could give more transparency not just to investors but to our own teams about the the places we were investing the kind of growth opportunities we had and and so it was very consistent with where the world was at that moment in time as it pertains to uh just you know disclosure transparency making things clearer to investors
0: mm-hmm. and there's a line in the book where you say that you know this is the time i knew there. That we would never again have a lofty valuations of PE ratio uh, had at, at the time that you became the CEO. Uh, I thought the best we could do is to steadily grow earnings per share and uh, the dividend because that was the only language investors understood. Why did you feel this at that point in time?
1: Yeah, because it was true. You know, <laughs> you know I spent a lot of time with investors, and you know, the company was. You know, people in the 90s, they bought the stock, but they really didn't understand everything that was in GE. And I had a relatively big investor who right after 9-11, you know, sold most of their shares because they recognized we were in the insurance business and they didn't realize we were in, in the insurance business, right? And so when you have a very big investor who, who doesn't really know the company, then you know that kind of your, your challenge is both education and it's going to take time to get them there. so basically I set a, set along a path to say, look we have good businesses we can run them well, they can generate earnings and cash flow. What I need to do is reposition the portfolio to be more industrial less financial and and as I do that, you know give investors kind of the the kind of transparency and performance that they could understand and could work with. And so that was kind of the path we set upon in the early 2000s. And like I said, it worked, uh, you know, we always traded at a premium to the sum of the parts. Our stock price did well, our earnings did well, our company did well, but we were awfully exposed to financial services when uh, the financial crisis hit. And that, you know, by 2010 or by 2008 rather, that was really a challenging scenario.
0: Sure. And, you know, you've done like hundreds of acquisitions that GE has done in his lifetime. Did the conglomerate really need so many acquisitions to keep its share prices keep going? Or do you think you could have done, I mean, the company would have been better without so many acquisitions?
1: I think it's always a good question. I, I'd say what we tried to do was we, we had underinvested in our industrial businesses mm-hmm. in the 80s and 90s. So we needed some new platforms as a company and that was really what we did we we got into life sciences and renewable energy we built out our aviation portfolio you know distributed power so so we really tried to rejuvenate the technology of the company which i think was needed that that was really necessary now all that being said some acquisitions work better than others but on balance you know our of businesses was actually very healthy in that time period and, and uh, these were investments we felt like we needed to make. Uh, we had the financial strength to do the acquisitions. And like I said, investors tended to be supportive of those deals as we did them. Uh, but it was really strategic, you know, we really thought through it, you know, it wasn't done to manage the share price in any way. What it was really done to do is just kind of rebuild the company into being more you know, technology oriented and more global. You know, the day, you know, really the day I took over the company, I I wanted the company to be more global, more technical, closer to the customer and more diverse. And, you know, each and every day we kind of set you know, down that path to to be uh, successful in those ways.
0: Okay. I was just going to come to that question that, you know, when you took over the company, What were the ideas that you had that you wanted to bring? Like, these are the things I want to do as a CEO. And when you left, when you look back, uh, were you able to do them? Or there are some things that you think that, you know, oh, this is yet to be done.
1: You know, the company I grew up in was very financially driven. And it was really driven by, I'd say, management practices. And, And in some ways, you know, Jack Welch was a great leader. And we were really kind of a leading edge from a management practice standpoint. But we weren't deep technically necessarily and and so i had very different ideas when i took over about where i i thought ge should be so uh you know i i really wanted to focus on technology uh i i really believe that our markets were less in the us and more around the world so i wanted to build out globally I, I always believed that you know the company that i was in in the 80s and 90s really didn't like customers that much but I wanted to build a culture where we really respected and and liked customers. And then, you know, we just, we didn't have enough women in leadership positions. We didn't have enough global talent leadership positions. We didn't have enough uh, African-Americans or people of color in leadership positions. And I wanted to change. So those were really in the back of my mind, the four things. I'd say technically we made progress. Um, we, We made progress from a standpoint of building out, you know, areas like life sciences or renewable energies, which were huge industries in and of themselves. Uh, towards the end of my career, we made big bets in digital kind of next generation technologies. Some of those worked better than others. I, I would have loved to have made more progress on the digital front than we did, but we, we invested heavily and we tried. Mm-hmm. You know, Pooja, globally, we were, we were a really strong global company you know we had great presence in india and china and europe and africa and middle east really everywhere in the world we made tremendous progress i think we were a company that our customers respected you know cuz we'd been through big industries like airlines through multiple crises and and they we demonstrated that we were able to work with them through that and i'm really proud of the progress we made particularly with women you know you know we had a lot of senior women leaders in the company and, and who have gone on to have great careers. And so you know, in some way, shape or form, we, we, we made progress on all of those, although there's some areas where I wish we had made even more progress.
0: True. And lastly, I wanted to understand now that you're outside the company, when you look back at it, I mean, we've seen that the share price had fallen, it went out of the uh, DJIA. Um, when you look back, what are the things that you think the company should do now, or how do you see the company at this point in time?
1: Yeah, look, I still own a big, lots of shares. Mm-hmm. You know, Pooja, so I, I root for the company and, <laughs> and I cheer for the company. Uh, we've got big positions in three industries, mm-hmm. in aviation and in energy uh, and in healthcare. Uh, there's many things that can be done inside those industries. Uh, And so I'm really very, you know, kind of keen and supportive of where the company can go. I think what you see globally is that uh, innovation is really what matters today. And so we just need to keep pushing innovation in those spaces because if we don't, you know, what I I, I now work in venture and what you see is that anybody can get funded Mm -hmm. on almost any idea. And so, you know, every legacy company can be disrupted readily by startups and so we need to be very paranoid about uh, about what can happen in the future. So that's you know I think building out in these three industry spaces, uh, great future progress is what we should do.
0: True. Right now, I mean, there are these enterprises which are, for example, even in mobility, uh, the large old school enterprises are now trying to you know build accelerator programs or to fund startups which can help internally in their technology. Do you think GE is ready for that kind of transformation?
1: It needs to be, you know, again, uh, what I said earlier is, you know, we, we really invested in the industrial internet before others. Uh, we had a great use case inside the company in terms of industrial service. We were able to recruit great talent to help us make progress, but in the end, we didn't get as far as we needed to. And if I had to do it over again, what I would have done is actually formed a, a joint venture with a startup that would have provided a different culture. Uh, a different essence, maybe maybe its own stock price, and and so I think that's what legacy companies need. You know, legacy companies can't give up on where the technology is going, but they need to be willing to invest in different structures and, and different uh, uh, partnerships to help them get there. And and that's what I would recommend, both to GE but to other, you know General Motors or other companies that are really trying to make progress in the future.
0: Okay. Thank you so much for your time today. It was lovely talking to you because I loved your book. Uh, it really notes down all the stories and experiences in very detail. And I'm sure it's not easy to write uh, a self, uh, you know, to do a self critique also. So I think it's a lovely book for everyone to read and take notes from.
1: Thanks, It's Great being with you.